1: You are listening to Mist Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. It's Inside F1 with Joe Saber today. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. Today, as always on Inside F1, I am joined by one of the most experienced F1 journalists in F1 history. He's reported on every Grand Prix since before there was last a plank-related disqualification. It's Joe Seward. Hey, Joe. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Actually, no, it's only good afternoon where I am, yes. so it's evening where you are, isn't it? Due, due to a discrepancy in time zones, it is 10pm, and I am definitely in the, the sleepy and sherry zone of the UK. But it's an honour and fantastic joy uh, to speak to you, and I've got some listener questions to throw at you as well. But can you believe none of them have asked about scrutineering? So the first question is from young Richard Reddy in, in, uh, in Essex now. Uh, I was so surprised, Joe by the scrutineering process. I, I didn't understand any of it. I didn't know it wasn't random. I didn't know they didn't check everything. I had no idea. And then I, I went back and I read all the FYA reports because I was just so surprised by the whole process. I went and read all the reports from every Grand Prix and they really do provide a lot of information and it's nothing like I thought it was. That's true. They, I mean, scrutineering is... well. It, there's, there's various bits of scrutineering.
2: There's pre-race scrutineering and post-race scrutineering. And the sole intention is to find out if anyone's been up to no good. Now, in the case of uh, Austin, we found that the planks had been worn out, which is actually probably the fault of the sprint um, format, because there's only one hour of time in which to get everything done. And I think some of the teams probably didn't. And Austin's a very bumpy track. So as they go whizzing over those curbs and bumps, they grind bits off the car, the bottom end of the car and that's what the problem was and it wasn't a huge amount in terms of millimeters but you know these are there's a reason that the planks are there and that is to stop the cars riding low because obviously that had advantages so um and if you're out you're out and uh i don't know what would have happened if they tested more cars they probably would have found a lot more that had been ground down too but they only tested four i believe so um so do you speak? Yeah, to Unfortunately, the... they did test Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc. So you wipe
1: out um, two of the top yeah. runners. Well, I, you know, I was um, I was chatting with Scarbs because he knows more than me, and I I said to him, uh, "Is it random, or do they? How do they decide who they scrutineer? And he went, "Oh, I don't, I don't know either." And I think like not many people did know. His best guess was, if you're in a fast car, you're more likely to get checked. So that was the point that triggered me to read every report and only. Only once before the US Grand Prix has a podium car been checked, and that was Lewis Hamilton uh, P2 in Spain. So uh, one of our guys who was uh, has done a bit of marshalling suggested that actually, you know, the scrutineering team might take reports from other teams or, or look at onboards to kind of think, oh, well, they, they looked a bit dodgy or bouncy. We should check them. I, I can't imagine it would have made the, the, the two or three millimetres
2: involved. I'm not sure it would have made any difference at all. And I don't think you could spot it. So I think that might be a little bit, um, looking for things that aren't there. I think (laughs) in general terms, it's kind of random, but obviously, yes, there is a tendency to look at the fast guys because they're the ones who would have most likely have, um, um, bent the rules. Not, I'm sure in in both cases, this is not deliberate. It's just, you know, nobody wants to get busted, do they? It doesn't help you. You don't get any points and you get bad publicity. So it doesn't, it's not a great thing to be doing, um, And so they get thrown out, they lose their points,
1: Formula One looks silly, and off we go again to next week where we can do other silly things. I was angry, and I'm looking for conspiracies, but actually, no, more than anything, I was just really um, interested to sort of learn more about the process. Do you get in there? Do you speak to the the scrutineering guys at all? I don't have time. After a race, I'm far too busy producing (laughs) magazines to talk to
2: people, Um, and they're too busy to talk to me. So basically... um, that is a process that's going on simultaneously to everybody writing stories. And, you know, the, an awful lot of people, particularly with the Americas, if you think about deadlines for newspapers and things, everyone's filing away frantically for Monday's newspapers. Um, and then they suddenly, after the deadlines are all shut and the papers have gone to press, they suddenly decide, discover that um, two of the leading members are no longer there. So their stories are absolute rubbish. And there's nothing they can do about it so i don't know if there's an easy way around this process probably not but that's always been the case um and it did mess me around a bit because obviously if there is a problem then there's a delay because the stewards have got to look at it and bloody bloody blah, blah and so the magazine uh production process goes a bit haywire <laughs> and uh and it does also mean a very nasty long long night producing everything in the time available and it was and you'll have noticed as a reader of JSBM newsletter
1: that that was some hours behind schedule simply because i couldn't do it any faster and uh, as a as a viewer of the Mistapex Apex youtube channel joe you would have sympathized with us finding out at half past one on a live stream half past one in the morning i was sat here when that news came in i did not take it well and then i woke up and i was in well, i did hear i did hear some some fleet street boys ranting and raving
2: mm. um when they realized that their stories had, had all bet. been total tosh yeah. Yeah. um you know complaining about why can't it be done faster well it's a good question but you know that's the joy of time zones as we're discovering today
1: well yeah i mean i fully recorded the ringer podcast in the can published before they made that decision i mean it's unfortunate but it's such a rare occurrence that a car uh, fails for a plank violation that you kind of just let's chalk that one uh, up to bad luck, to the track, to life and and see if it becomes if it was to become persistent and a problem, then look at it for a one off. It doesn't matter.
2: Well, I think it might become persistent if if the sprint race uh, format, I mean, they are going to keep the sprint race format because obviously it brings them more more viewers. But uh, it means that the teams are going to have to spend a little bit of time working out. Um, in that very brief period of time. They get one hour to do everything. Um, They're trying to test tyres, they're trying to do this, they're trying to do that, and so they're going to now need to check the wear rates on the underside of the cars to make sure that that doesn't get them in trouble again. Ah, which brings
1: us to our first listener question, Joe. Young David asks, Has the sprint race experiment run its course? Is there any likelihood to major revision of the format in 2024? Brackets. Please, God, no. Please, no. Close brackets. Their removal from the calendar altogether would be preferable. Any hope? Uh, they're, they're not going
2: to be removed from the calendar next year. It's very simple because they they uh, produce more reading, uh, rather viewing numbers, and the viewing numbers are what uh, dictate the money. And the money is what dictates what happens. So um, it's going to go on happening. I have to say, I think it's a, uh, it's a nightmare. Uh, some of the drivers don't like it, but it does mean um, we have a we have a really interesting problem with it because you have qualifying um, on the Friday for the main race on Sunday, and then you have Saturday completely different. When you're trying to structure a, an old fashioned magazine, which bit goes first? You know, because w- if you write the qualifying and then you have the sprint and then you have the race, people have forgotten by the time they get to the race what had happened in the qualifying um and so we concluded that we just um we just put the whole of the sprint race in front of the the qualify even if time-wise it happened after what's going to read going to read about later i mean it's just a silly thing but it is um it is a problem however you know it it brings in more numbers so numbers is is what's important
1: if i had to i hate the sprint format because i just think it dilutes it and it, yeah there's more stuff but every Every individual bit is less good than if there was just you know practice qualifying and, and Grand Prix. I suppose if you want to defend it slightly, you get two rolls of the dice for something interesting happening. That's the only you, slight you defense. You get two starts, yeah, and
2: two starts means that you've got more um, potential for things to happen. However, I think the downside of it, certainly, you don't want to do it at tracks where you can't overtake because that's a complete waste of energy. Um, you know, if you if you did sprint race at Monaco. It would just be silly, um, and there are a number of tracks where you can't overtake, so or it's very difficult anyway. Um, the other thing is that drivers are not going to take risks in the sprint race, even if there's points available. They're not going to take uh, risks that will take away from their ability to earn more points on Sunday. So, you know, it, there is a level of which they, they 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 behave themselves more than they would in on Sunday because they don't want to root their car.
1: Yeah. But that, but that's not good. That's not what you want. That's the opposite of what you want. You want drivers being able to go for it. So when people say, "Oh, we'll put the put the reserve drivers in," that's the last thing the teams will want to do.
2: No, you don't want to be doing that because then there'd be bits of carbon fibre all over the all over <laughs> the shop. So, um, you know, that's like hiring a Roman Grosjean, isn't it? It's just, it's just, it's just. Um, um, it's just or Kevin Magnuson actually, he's good at front wings. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's just not what you want. And also, because you have all these shards of stuff all over the place, half the time is going to be spent behind a safety car anyway. So you you, you don't want that. So it, it's a balancing act, and this is what they've concluded is the best idea for now. Uh they will they'll try out different tracks, some different tracks next year, I think you'll find. Really? Um, yes. What? I can't possibly comment because I don't know. You do know. You lie. I might know, but I'm not allowed. (laughs) I've been sworn to internal secrecy until they announce it, and then I can tell you that there will be one or two different sprint races next year.
1: Ah, I see.
2: It would be. I mean, you know, they will switch them around anyway. But there are some others coming into the into the thing, which. I mean, I, I, to be honest, sprint races are really hard work, particularly in Europe where you've got the Formula 3s and Formula 2s as well, um, which we report on um, in Grand Prix Plus. And that means that, you know, you just never stop. You're flat out all the time trying to get everything done. Mm. Um, and that's possibly why the F1 Academy race probably next year won't get much coverage because haven't got time to include everything. So, you know,
1: we don't do the Porsche Super
2: Cup or anything like that. You know? No. Or the Coupe de Coiffeur,
1: as it's known. Yeah, and Porsche Super Cup on when they do it, like at Silverstone, that's not the like it's not a track for the Porsche Super Cup in a way. Like when they sort of shoehorn it into a, a big Grand Prix track, it can sort of look like they're. I know in the car it will be very intense, but it can can look like they're just a train following round on a Skelectric.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can mm. do.
1: But they, you know, those guys are all going for it. To be fair, I no, mean, I we bet
2: do they are. Make, we do make fun of it. Um. And call it the hairdressers race, but you know it, it is. It is. <laughs> that's what the coupe de cooptacraffer means. Never mind. Um, it, it, it's unfair to do that, but it's just funny, you know. <laughs> um, and because there, there's all kinds of things. There's also the old, the old um, F1 car race and stuff like that. But you know, there's if there's too much, um, we we can't handle it. Let alone, I mean, the spectators are kept mm. amused. I'm sure. Um, but there are some races where you have literally something happening every minute and everybody gets sort of over overwhelmed by it you get all the stuff on the track and you have air displays uh, and all this sort of stuff and it just becomes too much you don't don't get any rest at all so Mm. you can't go off to have a hamburger in case you miss something
1: (laughs) you know now, you've nearly answered young Michael's question, but I'll ask it anyway. As I get you to move your microphone slightly backwards, uh, Joe, away from you, that's my fault. I got him to move it forward uh, in the first place. Very hard to place I someone's any, mic. I
2: cannot go any further than that. That's I can fine. go backwards, but my uh, no, microphone no, we'll, can't.
1: No, no, we'll be cool. We'll be fine. Um, so also, we should tell people, if you want to hang out on a live Zoom call with one of Joe's live virtual audiences, the day before the brazilian grand prix event starts you can so the next virtual audience uh, with joe has tickets on sale now we'll include the the link in the the show notes and I'll chuck it in the live chats now and we have about 50 of us if you want to buy your seat there the content of the evening is dictated by your questions and and we always have a lot of fun. I always crack a beer and uh, and, and laugh at the questions as they come in uh, to Uncle Joe. And I think they have been a roaring success with many returning patrons, Joe. So we're going to be doing that on November the 2nd, Thursday, 8pm UK time. And we'll get our time zones correct this time, Joe.
2: Yeah, well, Brazilian time is a bit early for a drink, you know, so... You can um, push through. You I can push, push through. Wait
1: until it's over. Then I should go and slam myself silly with news. <laughs> okay. So go and check that out and see if you fancy joining us for a live virtual audience with Joe. And I'm there as the MC pressing the buttons because Joe hasn't figured out how Zoom works yet. Okay. Uh, Mike Stoner's question was, have you got any... He doesn't want to know the answer to the specifics, but he says, do you have lots of things that you can't tell us? But how how
0: much are you holding Always. at any one time?
1: always
2: yeah you always have things you know but you can only hint at them because um people don't want the actual truth to come <laughs> out but you can otherwise sometimes there are things where um you need something to explain why something else is happening but you can't say it directly so you can only hint at it but yes there's always there's always um bits and pieces i wouldn't say there's i wouldn't say it was 80% of the content. I would say it's about 5% of the content because keeping a secret in Formula One is really hard because everybody has got their ear to the ground. Um, and, you know, there is a saying that if more than two people know something, it's never a secret because you can always say it was, it wasn't you who, who leaked it when you've got three people, it's one of two people who leak it, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> and you know, that, that's, that really is true nowadays that um you know even even if you have contracts going down you've still got lawyers who look at them and you know and they can be sitting on the train talking to their missus on the phone going, Oh, I was doing that dastardly massa contact the other day. You know, and you'll be sitting in the next door seat going, Oh, were well, you know, it's interesting. Things like that do happen weirdly. <laughs> but um you know people people I think some people involved in Formula One in the extre- in the extraneous areas. Like to talk about it on mobile phones loudly to make themselves feel important or something. But every so often, I find myself in a situation to be able to pick up on that. So that's marvellous, really.
1: Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's like fighting in a lift. Yeah, if there's two, if there's two of you, you know it was the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. It could have been the one who got out at the fifth floor. Do you think the teams are better at keeping secrets nowadays? Because the there was one about I very early on when you started doing podcasts with us and. They were a little bit loose about announcing that Honda uh, Red Bull were moving to Honda, and and just someone just on the shop floor just told me, just like DM'd me, and was just like, hey, guess what? And then and that uh, I think that's how it got leaked in the first place. But no one cared because you know I'm not anyone. But um, but I think since then they've really tightened up. So the same person that told me that he said to me, oh, they don't tell us anything anymore until it's like just about to be released. Well, normally they always used to do that anyway, because the minute you have a conversation to
2: a team, it's open season. I mean, any kind of announcement in a factory, it's out there straight away. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is that did it. It just, so the minute you announce something within a team, it's public information mm. within, with the internet as it is nowadays, literally within minutes, because you know, people can send a text, people can send a, a Twitter, whatever, you know. It's instant, so yes, they. I guess they've, they've, uh, they don't tell as many people in the business um, what's happening in order to try and keep it quiet. But the other thing about that, which is good, is that it forces them to make announcements as soon as things are decided. Yeah. yeah. So it works both ways. I'm, I'm, I'm all for being as open as possible. But obviously, you know, um, if Red Bull is trying to remove Sergio Perez, for uh, example,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, they're not going to tell the world about it, are they? Now, see that's the next question. You've, you're. It's as if you can read my show notes, Joe. No, actually, it's slightly tangential to that. Adam Ash says, "Is there any stock to the rumours that Helmut Marco will be leaving Red Bull earlier than intended?" Well, his contract runs a year. He's saying, "I'm not going anywhere." Is he? Earlier than intended. He's eighty years old. <laughs>
2: you know, uh, if 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 he wants to go, he'll go. If they want him to go, he'll probably still go. Do they want him to go? I don't know. He has a value. Um He keeps them in the papers. That's for sure. As much as Max Verstappen does, <laughs> to be honest, because he, Helmut says something outrageous and it gets in the papers. So, um, you know, he has a value. He's also a sort of um, a counterpoint to the smooth Christian Horner. Um and you know it's kind of punch and judy show stuff too so um you know he's not i mean he is a very experienced his, his choice of drivers is sometimes a bit bizarre but he does know what he's doing um to a large extent i wouldn't necessarily agree with all of his choices at any given time but um uh you know <laughs> he's part of he's part of the um he's part of the
1: colorful tapestry of Formula One.
2: And if we lose him, you know, we lose a, a colourful character.
1: Oh, yeah, I'll be devastated, Joe. Absolutely devastated. But, yeah, he takes the heat off of um, of Christian Horner. And whilst Adita Maschitz might have been more amenable to Dietrich, it... Dietrich. Oh, by Dietrich. What did I say, Dieter? Dieter. I'm so sorry. Um, Ghastly word, Dieter. It's not the right one. I beg your pardon. Um, no disrespect intended. Is that loving feeling towards Helmut Marco still there in the parent company? Because, obviously, Marco doesn't work for Red Bull at all.
2: Um, he does. He works for, uh, on a contract with, um, it's a personal contract with the, I believe with the company, not with, I mean, he was friends with Mattershitz. So, and he's, I'm sure that he's very close to Mark Mattershitz, who is the heir to the empire, um, who is a young man. He's only 30 odd, um, who has 49% of the company. The other fifty one percent belong to people in Thailand, and so who knows um what they think about it they do turn up, and I think they've probably got used to having helmet around, you know, so
3: yeah, we'll, we'll see
2: if he if he comes up with any sort of more racial slurs, I suppose you could call it that it's probably not a bright a bright idea, but um you know, I don't think helmet's very good at this modern stuff, <laughs> you know.
3: It's easy you know, to get left behind. What
2: you can, and he doesn't know what you can and can't say anymore. And he, when he when he's actually making a joke, of course, there is no humor on the internet. So um, you know, if you're making a joke, people don't understand that, and they accuse
1: you of this, that, and the other. So mm. it's best not to make jokes on the internet because people don't get it. I mean, don't say he's lazy because he's Mexican. Even if that's a joke, that's not particularly funny. It's a bit
2: like saying that he's yeah. um, he hasn't got a sense of humour because he's a German, isn't it? So.
1: Yeah, okay. I don't think that's a direct equivalent, <laughs> but we could argue that all day long. So, uh, but the thing is, there's been a big, a big push of Red Bull rumours, and none of them have been particularly from credible, credit, uh, credible sources. But even to the point where Max Verstappen is rumored to have said, "If Marco goes, I go," and that seems ridiculous. But yeah, I think I think we can almost well, dismiss. I don't, I don't
2: think that's true because Max yeah. Verstappen gets paid an absolutely last <laughs> yes. pile of money, and he likes winning races. So um, if he was to walk out and leave and go to drive for somebody else, he wouldn't be much in his interest to do that. So if Helmut Marco is cannon fodder, uh, he'll just sort of walk over the body
1: and and keep going. I would suggest. All right. All right, Joe, should we dip back into our mailbag then? Because Ryan Husson has said, hey, Uncle Joe, that's what he calls you. That's a term of reverence, Joe. You don't it's like it, do you? A bit avuncular for my taste. I don't know what that means. It means uncle-like. Yeah, no, that's good, though. That's the stage of your, your life that you're at. And I, I to be honest, Joe... No, that's the stage
2: that you think I'm at. I'm actually still 17 years old and thrusting and charging along. If I'm honest, In my Joe. mind. In my mind.
1: If I could be your advisor, if I could be your Helmut Marco consultant, I'd say take uncle for as long as you stay in that zone. Hey, Uncle Joe, says Reinhalsen. Any chance Lance will end his career in a few weeks? And what are the chances of Drogovic getting a spot for 2024?
2: I think the only answer to that question is in the head of one Mr. Stroll Jr. Uh, I think it's definite that he'll be gone by the end of next year. Um, but I'm not sure. Really? How, really? Wait, really? Why? Because he has a contract and uh. you cannot you cannot renew a contract with somebody who's done that badly. Even if you're the you know, even if you're the the son of the team owner. I just think the whole thing will be finished by the end of next year and I don't think it'll go on beyond that. Um could it happen this year if Lance just decided Lance doesn't it never looks like a bloke who's enjoying himself. That's the thing. He never looks like a guy who likes driving racing cars. He looks like a bloke who's bored um, all the time. And, you know, maybe that's because um, his life has been surrounded by uh, guilted things and everything's nice and easy for him. And, and you can just sort of swim in and out of one area or another area without too much trouble. I don't know. But he comes across as somebody he doesn't have, you know, when when you look at a young racing driver, um, or an old racing driver like Fernando Alonso, when he comes into the to the paddock, he's 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 ready to go. He's he's at it. You know, Lance sort of comes in, you think, where where'd he put the surfboard? You know. Um, <laughs> or the briefcase or yeah. the sandwiches, whatever it is, you know. But he just doesn't seem connected in the way that the others are, you know. That they, they are they're mad about racing and he just seems to be, yeah, well, whatever, you know. Yeah. It does maybe it does sound like maybe that. Maybe he maybe he really is a sort of a, a bubbling cauldron of enthusiasm for being a racing driver. But I think perhaps given the fact he's been um largely humiliated this mm. year. Yeah. Um nobody likes to be humiliated. And um you know, unless you can turn it around, and it's very hard to turn a situation around, particularly if you've got Fernando Alonso as your teammate, um, you know, I think I think there's a there's a potential that he might just say, Oh, I can't be bothered with this. I'll go and play golf tennis uh snooker whatever or do nothing because he's got loads of money in the bank hasn't he
1: yeah but he looked really frustrated after the Qatar sprint race and as much as i think what he did was was wrong shoving his trainer around and then being you know rude to the journalists whatever young sportsman but it did kind of almost show that he cared so if he didn't care he wouldn't have kicked off like that
2: well that's true and i think you could say i was very impressed at the start of the year when he fell off his bike and he came back um, in a way that only a person who's motivated would do. So, you know, that did change my view of him. But maybe it's just because he has that sort of um, attitude for whatever reason. He has that attitude, but he is secretly a bubbling cauldron of, of excitement and enthusiasm for the sport. I don't know. We'll see. But I, the other thing is, whatever you, whichever way you look at it
1: um, – he hasn't done enough, and in any other team, he would be gone by now. It's that that, and that's the that's the key one, isn't it? Because he is propped up there somewhat artificially, and uh, I don't want to well, look y- at Nick Nick De Vries. The axe swung after ten races. Wham!
2: Next, you know, so um, and Lance is there, just going gradually further and further back. And okay, so he had a half decent race in in Austin, and he uh, looked a bit better because he gained some more places or whatever. You know, um, but I don't know. I'm just not getting the right
1: vibes there. So, we've had a, a question from our, our live chat, and we'll we'll do stroll the mercy of of pulling him out of this topic. Not the not that he listens to Mr. Apex, uh, but Rob Graham just uh, jumped in the chat before we get off of Cota completely. Uh, do you, do you were you on the ground for the booing of Verstappen because it seemed like I don't yeah, mind. I, a, I saw it was going on. Yes. Yeah. I don't mind a friendly boo like a pantomime boo, I feel like that's part of sport. But the stuff that sometimes gets put at Lewis Hamilton and what seems to be coming from the Americas towards Max Verstappen, it's not good-natured booing? I just wondered if you had a, a no, take on it, that. It, it,
2: it, there's two ways of looking at it. One is that you can say, and some people would say, that the Americans' way of of uh, being a sporting spectator is more extreme than... Um, in other countries so it's more of a punch and judy show mm. where they, they they boo and they cheer and they scream when they see a star um mm-hmm. this kind of stuff now the other thing is and this is something that i i had some i think it was twitter or some feedback somebody said that they were booing the governor of texas um no I don't which think i it thought was, that. was rather unlikely because you know the governor of texas is going to be a republican and the whole crowd was not from austin um, which is Democrat, or you know, mm. weird as they call it. Um, I don't see
1: that as being the reason for it. I mean, there might have been some people, but it sounded like everybody was there. No, the, and- the, the timing of it was quite clear. If you, if you, I, I watched it over and over again just to be sure, Joe. But the timing of it is quite clear. He puts the trophy up, and and I, I felt sorry for the lad, lad, because he's you know he's there to no, his think moment disgusting In fact, yeah. if
2: it was bent if it was meant for him which i think it was i think it was yeah i think that that is that is um disrespectful given what he did i mean he drove a fantastic race really a fantastic race to come through from 6th to win um and you know he was under pressure all the way it wasn't easy and he did a terrific job, and to boo him at the end of that is just is just wrong. Uh,
1: yeah, I but know,
2: if it yeah. was, you know, I, I guess it was the
1: governor who was giving him the trophy. I don't know. Oh no, the, if the booing yeah. if the
2: booing came when he lifted the trophy up, that's it was about Max it was not about the governor. It, so. it was
1: so that makes me fear for for Mexico actually, because I know the Mexican F one fans, they, and I think they've they've been pretty vocal about it. Are really upset about the Perez situation, especially with the Marco comments, and I. I sort of I think it's not going to get any better at the Mexican Grand Prix. Well, we'll see, won't we? Mm. I mean, you know, pre- presumably if Perez isn't on the
2: podium, they won't be happy anyway. But and that's about as likely. Never mind. <laughs> Let's change the subject again. Um, I <laughs> mean, Perez do. does tend to raise his game at home in Mexico, um, but he doesn't need to raise his game. I'm, I don't know. we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, look, the thing about Max is that Max is, is a grown-up. He's big enough not to care because for him the ultimate the ultimate response to booing is just to show them yeah, the trophy winning. again. Yeah. Here you go. Look you see I've won it. You lot are just bad sports. Um and he's not he's not doing it any nasty way. He's just doing it because you know he he is by far the best driver out there at the moment in the best car and he's doing a fantastic job and particularly in Austin which was a really spectacular yeah. drive. It was one of the best of his career I would say. Um yeah, you know, given given where he started and given okay. the problems he had, and you could see how under pressure he was when he's telling the engineer to shut up. Yeah, you know because he's trying to concentrate not to drive into the hedge. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it was and he was under pressure from you know from someone fairly sensible by the name of Lewis Hamilton who was closing in and closing in and closing in, and another couple of laps and it would have been a different story. Yeah, definitely. So you know, it's we should not denigrate people who do great things. And just because you didn't like him because something happened two years ago, which he hadn't very little to do with whatever, you know, um, you shouldn't, you shouldn't blame him for, uh, things blame somebody else or just don't blame anybody and get on with it
1: f1's a funny sport where you're you're booing the competitor like for like soccer you boo your own team more than anything (laughs) you you cheer your team when they're winning and you boo them when they're doing badly but f1 is somehow even more tribal where you direct the ire at the at the driver you don't like but we can move to happier climbs joe because we've left America, we're going to go to Mexico, Brazil, and then we're going to go to Las Vegas. And Brad D asks, is Joe looking forward to Las Vegas? Does he have to commute from Parump every day to afford it? Actually, I looked at the hotel prices, because I've got half a sniff of doing something out there, and uh, it wasn't too bad. I was quite surprised. The There was this initial boost of or
2: initial phase where everything was silly money. Um, But you just sit down and do the numbers, which is there's 150,000 hotel rooms in Las Vegas, and they have a maximum crowd capacity of 94,000. So work it out. There's going to be a massive excess of hotel rooms. Therefore, the prices came down. Um, Ditto the flights going in. Bobby Epstein, the promoter of Austin, showed me. And we were talking about, and he said he was taking a whole bunch of staff with him to Vegas. And I said, oh, that's going to cost you a load of money. He said, no, 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 no. look at the flight prices. From Austin to Las Vegas on the race weekend, you can get there for 79 bucks. You know, it's it, it's extraordinary. So I think Vegas is going to be a, a, a zoo in terms of, um, you know, people getting overexcited about things. And lots of celebrities and people will turn up and everything will be wildly overhyped and i'm sure that there'll be massive disruptions around the town um but mm. there's a reason they've got a race there and the reason they've got a race there is to put vegas back on the map because although people haven't forgotten las vegas you know, las vegas still has to compete with the rest of the world as a destination and that's why they you know they've got an NFL franchise where they're trying to get the Oakland A's baseball team to move up there. You know, they're, they're trying to, because you can't just rely on gambling anymore. You've got to have a whole bunch of other stuff because gambling is not very family friendly and they're moving over towards sort of family friendly things. So, um, you know,
1: there is a, there's a very good reason why there's a Grand Prix there um, because they need it. But it's not, it's not sold out. Like I can still go and buy a ticket tomorrow. The prices are still high, but they're not sold out. I'm surprised. Um, I'm not really
2: surprised that that because it's the third American race. So your average F1 race fan in America who's willing to spend a lot of money to go to uh, races already, probably done Canada. it already. So you got uh, Canada, there are some who will go yeah. there just because it's a new race and is going to be you'll be able to say I was there at the first one. But you know there is a there is a limit to the number of people who are willing to pay the kind of money it costs to do because you've got to fly, you've got to do a high car, I mean, all these things you've got to do. And it all adds up to, to thousands of dollars. So, mm. you know, how many people can afford to do that? There is, I mean, there's lots of people who can, but how many people who can afford to do it who, who are interested in Formula One? I think the interesting thing will be what the demographic actually is in terms of how many of them are really <laughs> fans and how many of them are
1: Drive to Survive Gunther Steiner fans. I know, I love my Drive to Survive fan listeners, Joe. We mustn't gatekeep I'm not I am not gatekeeping, I'm saying, gatekeeping I'm saying
2: I'm saying the me. demographic will be ah, interesting okay. I'm not I'm not condemning them I'm all for them hmm. you know I, I don't necessarily understand it but you know why 30 <laughs> year old Americans would suddenly be mad about formula 1 or why why middle aged ladies think gunter oh. stein is a sex symbol you know whatever. I didn't know that was you know, a thing Oh, it is absolutely. Even
1: Gunter's find that mildly confusing because he doesn't really know what to do with them. So no, he's. I mean, he's a very competent guy and he's funny, but you know, he's got a face like a welder's boot. Joe, I, I can't see it. <laughs> doesn't matter. How many got character? <laughs> uh it's what's on the inside? Actually, that it's
2: counts. really funny. Uh, it, it is really funny because he um he he does get a lot of um pressure caused by his fame. Yeah, because he you know going out into the paddock is is an experience quite daunting for him. And I saw him at one point over the weekend, and he, his face looked like thunder. And I thought, "Oh, what's wrong with you then? I said, what's happened to your happy face? And he goes, if you look grumpy, fewer people stop you. True, absolutely and true. And then he said, walk with me, um, because if you're in a conversation with somebody, fewer people stop you as well. <laughs> and in the minute you pause and stop, you're then stuck for a very long period doing selfies and autographs. Now It's not that he doesn't want to. He's quite happy to do it, but he's got other
1: things to do. He's running a racing team. Joe, you're his. You're his notepad and pen. That that was the old trick. If you walk around with a notepad and pen, no one no one interrupts you. Well, you no, I this... said I said to him,
2: if you want to go down in the paddock, let me know. I'll be uh, your umbrella. I'll be you your know? clipboard. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. So that's it. Or walk around with a spanner what, in yeah. the
2: rain. Sometimes you'll you'll hitch a ride on someone's umbrella um, mm, to get okay. you through
1: without getting wet. So
2: if I might you know um, people
1: in Formula One that is. <laughs> I might I might come in. I might come out to Vegas because the thing with Vegas is if if it's affordable, there's still tickets obviously I'll be playing uh, poker and blackjack, Texas Hold'em. So I'll you be I'll be you, you won't go home rich if you No, I'll be making it, right? money. I'll make money. I oh, don't be silly. The question is can I afford not to go? That's the that's the real question, Joe.
2: Well, if you do go, I have some advice and that is find a hotel somewhere near a met, uh, what do you call it, the monorail line. Right, yeah. Because traffic will be a disaster. Yes,
1: and this is what I I'm hearing. Pre- I am yeah.
2: predicting this yeah. to be a disaster. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to be walking to the monorail every morning and every evening or, and, uh, and just arriving by public transportation, because it's a bit like, it'll be a bit like Monaco is Monaco is a complete zoo. If you try to drive a car there. And so you don't, you just take the train or I, I take you, my yacht. <laughs> if you have to have a car, you come in very, very early in the morning, usually before the police have a chance to mess things up. Cause that's their, their, their great expertise at Monaco. Is to mess up the traffic by producing things that they think will work. It's a it's a trick they've learned at Spar as well. When the police get
1: involved, it just gets worse. Yeah. James Gill makes a good point. I, I can't risk it. He says, "Yes, yeah, Spanners, Do you have lots of problems with people stopping you as well? Yeah, because I'm on the internet, Joe. So I don't have well, a Joe to bring can around. Virtually stop you. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Anyway, Joe, you must get that. You must get the odd person stopping you for a for a selfie." Oh, it, Only the very, very odd one, not not often. Just I do in, in some countries more than others. Weirdly,
2: that's just Ted. Japan. I, I get more in Japan. Is it? Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, a massive because oh, in... they're more passionate fans. And also, I had a column in Japan in the Japanese magazine for twenty-five years. There you go. So that um, they know my face, um, and uh, even if it's a bit older than it was. And Australia is a bit like that too. So, um, mm.
1: but sometimes in funny places. I always get asked for things in okay. Singapore. I'm not going to clarify. I wasn't going to clarify what you were going to call funny places, Joe. But you went ahead and you did it anyway.
2: No, no, funny places. I'm not saying Singapore's a funny place. I'm just saying it's 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 odd places that you wouldn't expect things to be. <laughs> Why <laughs> ah, would I it? be well known in Singapore?
1: Fair enough. All right, let's go with the... more than anywhere else.
2: You know.
1: I think we got away with that. Listener mailbag continues. Oh, we've got a juicy one here uh, from Scott. And uh, it's about Andretti. And actually, we've tried to speculate about Andretti. And I've never really just thought, oh, yeah, well, Joe will just know. So Scott says, my question is for Joe, and this is a really good technical question, Scott. Does FOM really have the ability and the desire to block Andretti on behalf of the teams just because they're unsatisfied with the dilution amount? And is this, um, if this is the result, what can be done to prevent F1 permanently being closed to new entries? That's the big argument me and Matt have been having. Can okay, Liberty well, actually simple. do it? Formula 1 is not closed.
2: Even if they don't let Andretti in, it's not closed because you can buy a team. Just like uh, the NFL is not closed because you can buy a franchise there. Just like any major sporting you the league, F-word. you can buy a franchise if you want to be part of it. Um, obviously there are things like football where you have uh you can you can get promotion and relegation and all this sort of stuff. But promotion and relegation cannot work in motorsport because of the disparity between the money that the teams in Formula Two have and the teams at Formula One have got to be at to be competitive. I mean it's it's hundreds of millions different. So If you put a Formula 2 team into Formula 1, they'll just be hopeless. If you put an IndyCar team into Formula 1, they'll be quite hopeless too, I think. And this is one of the biggest fears about Andretti. There's nothing, it's not personal. That I think people think that Andretti, if he comes in, he'll take a share of something that they've spent years, 20 years, 30 years in some cases, getting to a level. And they earn that much money as a result of it. And Michael Andretti could come in and earn the same money as them, yeah, and produce no results at all. And it would be disastrous for Formula One if the American team, the all dancing, all singing American team, was five seconds off the pace at the back. Which is the most likely scenario. But we already have that. No, we don't, because they're very good. All the teams are really. Close. I'm talking about a team that's a complete lame duck.
1: Oh, so like a because they need
2: they need five years to catch up to get to a level at which even to understand the level they need to be at. You know, this is this is what this is the reason there is resistance, and the, the the resistance is not just from the teams. The teams do not tell Fom what to do. Fom recognizes the fact that does having a new team with with aspirations that are probably more and they are capable of delivering, is it going to help Formula One to have them at the back? Mm. Is there value in them being there? And the answer is probably no. Now, if you've got all the money that, that Andretti says he's got, buy a team. That's how you do it. Mm. And he could have done. He very nearly did buy the Sauber team.
1: Right. But it, Outright. In, the
2: end, in the end, that deal fell over because either, and this depends on who you talk to, either that he he, he put too many demands in it, which annoyed the owner, or Audi came along with a better deal, or a bit of both. Whatever it is, he had the chance, uh, and okay. he told me that himself. He told me yeah. that he, you know, he 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 had a contract to buy to buy the uh, the Sauber team, and he, you know, and was on the verge of signing it.
1: That's really interesting. Can I clarify though? Because there's buying a team, and then there's doing what Alfa Romeo did, as in just as a slap their paint over it.
2: Yeah, well, Alfa Romeo was just a, a slappy paint job. Yeah. And does anyone consider that to be an Alfa Romeo? Are you going to go out and buy no. buy an Alfa Romeo
1: road car because it's got something slapped on the side of a Salba? But what does Salba want? Does it want to sell, or does it want to keep operating with a sponsor?
2: No, no, no. the the The, the owner of Salba was a uh, kind of owner by accident. Oh, right. Because he basically kept loaning the team money to keep because he was oh, Marcus Ericsson's right. backer is that and the owner? Loaning, yeah. Okay, okay, I didn't know yeah, that. Finn Rousing was Marcus erickson's backer and probably still is in IndyCar. Um and he just got more and more involved to keep Marcus in there and to keep the team running and eventually he just found himself in a better position to take it over. Mm. And now it's a matter of well, do I want to do this? Do I want to be seen cuz you know the, the Rousing family is very secretive. Um and uh you know, he likes racing. He comes to a few races each year. He's a multi, 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 multi-billionaire. I mean, he makes stroll look like, a, like a, someone tap dancing on the sidewalk, um, you know, <laughs> in terms of money. Yeah. He's got 19 billion or something,
1: you know. Oh, man.
2: Um, and so you know, Rousing doesn't need it, um, but now he's got it. He might as well do something with it. And what he did was sell it to Audi. And obviously the Audi deal, now, funnily enough, I would argue they sold it at the wrong time because he sold it cheaper than he would've got later. Yeah. If he if he waited another 6 months. But you know the opportunity was there and he took it. So but if you look at what, you know, what um uh Lawrence Stroll paid for Racing Point and became Aston Martin, he's going to make a killing. He can go on burning money for another couple of years before he starts losing money on the overall scheme of things because yeah. He's going to sell it for a billion and he bought it for 150 or whatever it was, you know, so he's got some, he spent 600. So he's about, you know, overall, he's about halfway to destruction. Um, But if he gets out now, he looks very smart, doesn't he?
1: Okay. I'm going to come back to Scott's question because we haven't fully answered what it was he was uh, driving at. But Stuart's question is, is what, what the hell is up, is, is Audi up to? So, I don't understand where Audi sits between Andretti potentially buying it and the Alfa Romeo sponsor paint job. What what was Sorry, you're, or you're, is... I think
2: you're using the wrong terms here.
1: You're using Audi, you mean Salva? No, so this is what Stuart's asking. What is Audi up to in their takeover well, Audi, of Salva? Audi's, Audi has to wait mm. to come in until 26 because you cannot right. have an Audi Ferrari. But there's lots of rumors about them dropping out or that falling through. And, no, and... no,
2: they're, they're, they've. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're they're buying the team in stages. Right now, they own twenty five percent of ah, it. Okay. By the end of this year, they'll own about own about fifty. But Rousing will still be the chairman, so they will still control it. After that, at a certain point, it goes into Audi ownership, and then things will change. But exactly, because of course they haven't told us all these details yeah. of. Um, when it when, when power will go. But you can't just change it into Audi because you can't have a car called an Audi Ferrari.
1: <laughs> yeah. Be
2: bit, because yeah. one Ferrari wouldn't agree to it and two Audi wouldn't do it. So you just have to pretend it's not. It's a Sauber Ferrari for now. Yeah. Um, until it becomes an Audi. And it's never been an Alfa Romeo except in the fact that somebody gave him a couple of quid. And I mean, that was the cheapest deal in mm. probably the cheapest deal in the history of a manufacturer in Formula One. And good for them. Mm. Uh, It's mainly, it's a that's a, that's a, um, yeah. It's a mates, that's a mates deal between Fred Vasseur (laughs) and uh, Carlos Tavares, the boss of uh, Stellantis, i.e., the parent company of Alfa Romeo. Um, And that's one of the reasons, too, probably, that Fred got into Ferrari because he's also the chairman of um, Stellantis, is part, well, Ferrari is is John Elkann. Oh, so man. it's
1: all its all very sort of um, who you know. Went to stuff. the wrong schools, didn't we? We went to the wrong schools. So what would that Audi engine be eventually then if it's not a Ferrari? Well, it'll be an Audi so engine. So it'll be an Audi, Audi. Uh, yeah, an team. Audi, Audi. Okay. They're building
2: it and, and, you know, they're building it as we speak. They're working on it in in Germany. Okay. Um, and the, the Audi engine, at the moment, there's lots of rumours saying it's not very good. But yeah. there's, you know, the, there's lots of people going to work there. Um, you know, they might have they might have uh, changed the budgets a little bit because I think the original budgets weren't very realistic. And the guy who came up with the original idea has departed the company. So obviously there'll be rumours that the new lot who are in charge don't want to do it. Mm. But, you know, just pulling out of having announced something and then pulling out of it is not great PR. No. Okay. Particularly if you're Audi, you know, and you're supposed to be this great sort of engineering bunch of geniuses Forksprung duck
1: technique and all the rest of it um so you basically just gotta sort of struggle through I just have no faith that anyone can come in with a competitive f1 engine
2: you have no faith that anyone can come in with a competitive yeah. f1 engine? why not
1: because it seems really difficult in the first in the hybrid era one team got it right a new team came in a little bit later and got it disastrously wrong and Renault still haven't really got a got a Well, Honda, of it. Honda came in and got it right eventually it took it took what eight years. Yeah, but right. they they they
2: they did make a bit of a mess of their choices early on. Yeah, yeah. but they still got it right. All right.
1: Well, I'm glad you're more. You can
2: do it. I mean, you know, this is this is the point. A Red Bull is actually doing it now. because that, that's that's not just a, a Honda in 2026. Isn't that's it? a
1: Red Bull engine. Yeah, right. Chiny, no, no, it is. chinny reckon, Joe Beard. chinny reckon. That's what I used to say at school.
3: I don't buy the word
1: it. That's it. the Honda engine. Not having it. It's not the Honda engine, because <laughs> otherwise there wouldn't be another Honda engine, would there? All
2: right, all right. Okay, fine. Anyway, Red Bull have spent an absolute fortune on their powertrains. And I've been around the factory, and believe me, it's very impressive. And they have all kinds of people from all kinds of countries in the world. <gasps> He's and, doing an accent you know, as a clue. Well, because the, one of the blokes I met was a German who happened yeah. to be one of the leading lights there. So, you know... Um, there's a whole bunch of good engineers who are there doing
1: stuff and what happens at the end of it all we'll just have to wait and see. So well let's get back to Scott's question then, because it is I think it's a good one. So the FOM have hmm? approved have approved, uh it's been passed, they're they're allowed to compete as no, far but, as but they're not allowed to compete. So the FOM can block them.
2: Yes, we don't know how they can, but we know that they can <laughs> they have a say. It doesn't yeah. it, it's not a question of of them them having the ability to veto.
1: There we go. They have key. to agree. Why? What happens if? Okay. What happens if FOM don't agree? Can't they just go on well, the grid in that case, anyway? Andretti doesn't come. But technically, could they join the grid without FOM? No, they can't. So yeah. literally, they needs can't. Liberty to to approve it. No, without an entry, they can't. Ah, see, that's where I was confused. I think a lot of people are confused. We thought that en- the entry was from the FIA. Well, that's what the FIA would like people to think, but that's not that true. That is what the to FIA entry...
2: wants you to think. Well, no. <laughs> Look, to get an entry, you have to have agreement between the two. The FIA says it's their entirely their their remit to decide who gets what, but it's not. There has to be agreement on a commercial basis from FOM, and if FOM doesn't want it to happen, we'll have to see. And Gretchen, who's and rattling sabers and saying they'll sue and this, that, and the other. Good luck with that. They can try, but you know the fact is that it, they have to. They have to show that they have a value to the sport. I mean, why? Why the hell has the FIA let them in anyway? That's just that's just electioneering.
1: Like, look at us. Aren't we yes. popular in America? We've let this American lot in. You know. But uh, Mohammed Ben Salayam seems to be in open war with Liberty. I'm not asking. Well, that's you to risk an interesting
2: your... point. But, but rule number one, if you're going to be in open war with somebody, don't go to war with somebody who's going to hit you on the head with a hammer. And if you're if you're not smart enough to understand that, it it's very simple. The FIA gets forty percent or more of its income from Formula One. Mm. If you fall out with Formula One, you lose forty percent of your income and you go bankrupt. Mm. So, because the FIA cannot survive in its current form without Formula One money. It would just be a bit former self. If the F1 people say, we're going to do our own thing, we don't care about the FIA, they can't stop that because that would be anti-competitive under EU regulations. Oh, good point. Ah, But would would they have to call it something else like Formula
1: Racing Stars? Yes, you'd have
2: to call it GP1. Oh, okay. And you couldn't call it World Championship. You could call it the GP1 World Series. Nice. But frankly, (laughs) you wouldn't ever get to that because, gee whiz, guess what? If the FIA is going out of business... Their most logical course of action, if we get to that ridiculous situation, is to come sneaking back to the table yeah. and say, Well, you we could be world championship and call yourself Formula One again if you let us stay in. Yeah. I, Otherwise oh, I they see, go out I of see, business and all the little club books would know, be sitting on their boats in the Caribbean or whatever they do and with no, with no games to play, no politics to play at the Federation. And bin Sulaim will be sitting at home getting bored in Dubai because right. nobody will care. Yes. Because the FIA will have disappeared.
1: But the FIA is making a lot of noise, making a lot of statements through their president at the moment, and it all seems very, very personal.
2: Well, uh, to be honest, is it the FIA making those statements or is it the president on his own?
1: It's the president on his own, is my guess.
2: Well, yes, but also it's a system of patronage. That's what federations are. So there are people who owe their their position to (gasps) the president. Yes. And therefore, they've got to toe the line. And some of them are frightened of losing things, some of them... You know, but it, it's federations are generally strange, strange animals because they have. You know, what? Where is the logic in the Automobile Club of Panama having the same number of votes as the Automobile Association of America, the AAA, mm. or ADAC with thirty million members, whereas Panama's probably got you know a couple of hundred maximum? They've got the same voting power. That doesn't make sense. So you have a situation where all kinds of people from funny little countries get jobs. Oh, funny you know, countries. Joe, let's not call countries no, funny. No, but funny little countries. It's no. just, you know, countries that okay, are not name, significant in the overall scheme of things.
1: Name three countries that you think are funny and insignificant.
2: Well, uh, Joe, I'm to <laughs> funny,
1: doesn't it? <laughs> okay, Basically, well, small
2: countries hmm. that have very little motorsport or motoring activity okay. going on.
1: Stop thinking France, you guys out there. I know you're all stopping. I'm talking about islands in the Pacific. I'm right, talking okay. about islands in the Caribbean. They okay. have a vote. Yeah. I'm
2: talking about, uh, I don't know, just places that you wouldn't associate with cars.
1: Uh, okay. Cool. Excellent. Right. Nice. I like it. Uh, can we end on two team questions from our our listeners? You can end on whatever you like. Okay. Cool. So uh, <laughs> James Gill has said hello, Uncle Joe. And actually, James is young enough, definitely, to call you. Probably great Uncle Joe for James. What do you think the running order will be next season? And he's a McLaren fan, so he clarifies. Do you think the McLaren resurgence will continue into next year, or will they continue to be in the midfield until the second half of the season due to being on a different development cycle? I think that's a great question, James. I've been saying to people, because I love McLaren, I've been going, whoa, 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 pump the brakes, don't get carried away. Well, I I tend to think the gap that Red Bull has
2: now, first of all, they are going to improve their machine. And so everyone else needs to improve as well. And if that is done in a linear fashion, then it won't change. If Red Bull accelerates away, they may be even further ahead. They, and if the yeah. others accelerate towards them, well, that's different. But we'll see. I don't know. Mm. I would be amazed if Red Bull wasn't at the front again. No that's true. But if you look at it now, if you look at it now, they're getting the others are catching up. They're getting closer. Maybe it's only in qualifying, but you know, in race trim the Red Bull is still by far the best car. Mm. But having said that in recent races we've seen Lewis has been chasing Max to the finish line. Okay, but Max started 6th on the grid so it's a bit different. But the McLaren look very very strong too. And mm. Ferrari looks strong on occasion, so you know, there will be a levelling effect. Um over time, because of the the way the aerodynamic um, testing regulations restrict the winners more than the losers, so
1: do you know about this? I know about this. So they get like a success ballast for wind tunnel. But Ferrari look good on occasion outside of Singapore. The only times they've looked good have been uh, just before the lights go out. Well, the, the, yeah, this is true. I mean, yeah. okay, good. There is an Ooh, argument God's as well. I would put forward that.
2: Much of Red Bull's success this year has been due to the others screwing up as much as them doing a great job. It's both oh yeah, yeah, it is a bit of both, but the others have got to get it together in the way that Red Bull's got it together, so I just think the whole thing as a general rule, I think and you can see it already look at the look at the spread of lap times between the cars, and it's really close um okay, Red Bull's got an advantage. But if Red Bull, just assume Red Bull wasn't there, we'd have some fantastic races and everyone would be jumping up and down and wetting themselves with excitement at every Grand Prix
1: because <laughs> that the racing would be so close. If you took tyre wear out of F1 right now, I think it might be closer. It would be less interesting to watch, but you would have less drop-off from like McLaren like they had. Yeah, Dakota. but you'd have no overtaking at all. Yeah, I know, but that you'd and get closer. And then people would be
2: whining about, it's not fair, there's no overtaking, it's boring. It's processional, all the stuff you always hear.
1: But you'd get Um, closer race times. But you can't beat science. Mm.
2: You know, this is the problem is you have to find a way of science. Science kills entertainment. Um, You know, it just does because aerodynamics and cars following and all the rest of this stuff, Mm. science messes up good racing. Good racing is achieved when you have boxes with a wheel at each corner.
1: Rip the wings off, that's what I say. Groove tires, yeah, that, even rip- that
2: won't make a difference. Yeah, Becle- Mercedes have tried ripping the
1: rings off, and look at the disaster there. Yeah, <laughs> rip, groove tires rip the wings off. That's the only yeah, way. Groove tires—that's um, that, that, that's a really great plan. Thanks, I appreciate that, and I take it at face value. Okay, so, no, yeah, but it's not meant at face value. It, it is meant though. Any, reduce the grip. That's that's to get better racing. You've got to reduce but the grip. We won't reduce the grip because the engineers will go and find some more. Uh, double grooved. There we go. That'll do it. Well, we, I think we went through that phase at some point already. I did some really nerdy, because I'm a jobless bum, i.e. a a freelancer, I I went through and I looked at the finishing positions for constructors. And the reason why I'm not optimistic about, say, like when Aston Martin jumped up to the top, I I was like, that can't be sustained. It's going to revert to the mean. But I looked through the constructors' positions and very rarely does a team suddenly just pop up and become Mm -hmm. successful. The biggest movement I could really find was... McLaren Honda, you know, where they go from fourth to seventh, then back to fourth. But generally, the teams stay in their lane. So for McLaren to go from, you know, you know fourth and fifth consistently to suddenly be fighting for for a title or even being P two, it it just seems very unlikely to me. It would be, but, but that's uh, that is a reflection on the
2: closeness of the situation. McLaren has made yeah. a, a slightly bigger improvement than some of the others, but that means they look much better because they've jumped up ahead of three others yeah and they started so poorly as well that is well makes and it they started poorly maybe yeah. but the fact is that when you're close together and this is you can see in the qualifying you'll see sometimes there'll be a, there'll be Toro Rossos in the top in Q3 sometimes there'll be Alpines pretty much every team has gone into Q3 at some point even an Alfa Romeo I think made it at some point mm. into Q3 um why is that that's because it's so damn close And that's what people don't appreciate what enjoy what you've got because this is incredibly close. Okay, Max and go Max and only Max because Sergio is not good enough, you know, only Max (laughs) is ahead, but it's true, sadly. But and everybody else is in a real sort of well, it could be any one of them, it could be following through. And that's and that's why we saw, you know, over the last few years, we've seen a win from Alpha Tory, we've seen a win from Alpine, unlikely things though they were, Mm. but gradually. The, the long-term project of Formula One is to have everyone close together, and that's another reason why Andretti doesn't fit, because they would take years to catch up.
1: Mm. Yeah, so I like you just mm. literally
2: have have them sort of trugging around the back, getting in the way when they get lapped.
1: Why can't you have like you had Caterham, Marussia, Virgin? Why can't you just have like a, a subdivision at the back where it doesn't matter that they're a few seconds off, and just let let them compete and give them because time to grow. No prize money. What what did that actually... Yeah, but they'll all go out of business if there's no prize money. Well, they did. That literally happened. And that's
2: exactly what would happen again, which
1: is why... (laughs) Try it one more time.
2: (laughs) There is a provision to add more, but you've got to have a really good team. I I think the best thing to do is just to get rid of the additional nominal entries of, of 11th and 12th, because ultimately, I don't think you can find somebody who can go into those roles in a competitive way... In anything but a, a sort of ten-year period, mm. because you've got to build up such a uh, an infrastructure, and I, you know, Haas Hass is going to struggle because their infrastructure is not their own. Whose is to it? a large extent? I mean, well, because the cars are built by Delara, and right. and you know, um, they are they don't have a factory full of machines like other
1: teams do. Why don't they employ Ferrari uh, people on short-term contracts and then? Ship them back off to Ferrari when they've passed on that knowledge.
2: Well, because what they do is they pick up Ferrari people, when Ferrari people <laughs> are being thrown out. So yeah. they, they, you know, they when Ferrari needs to downsize, has has absorbed some of the people. Hmm. So you know, it's it's you can't do what Haas did now because that loophole that they found. Yes, that's what i was referring to. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but you know that, that that's it. They they were clever enough to find that loophole and they did it. Just as um, um, uh, Lawrence Stroll found a loophole in as much as because Force India was such a, excuse me, such a mess, they could not unravel the mess that Vijay Malia had created. And they did something which had never been done in the history of the sport before, which is they let the assets go into a new company with a new company number. That is absolutely against every rule in the Concord Agreement. But, but they kept, did it. But kept the to points. No, they, they, exactly. But they did it to keep mm. that team alive. It's better than having all those people going out of business and everything. Mm. The whole thing come trumbler, crumbling. Um, now that was that was Lawrence. Lawrence has made hundreds of millions as a result of that. Um, and lucky boy. But how long is he going to stick
1: around? That's another story. Yes. Uh, yeah. A token effort after Lance goes, I'm sure. A token effort to show that he wasn't really, just there I don't even think for... it'll be a token effort. You I think, think he'll be selling left, right and centre oh, right. after Lance goes. <laughs> no, we're out. Well, well there's gone. no point. What's, yeah.
2: what's the what's, the, um, what's the purpose? Save face? purpose was to, to make Lance stroll into a world champion if he's not going to happen. Why on earth would, would Daddy continue to take the pain? hmm very fine in the car company, the car company particularly, yeah. <laughs> because that's that's even more of a basket case than the racing team. The racing team's in a fairly good place, but the
1: car company's not. Basket case. All right. Uh, final question then, final team question. Uh, Andrew de Groot, I think, is sound. Is a Williams fan. Sounds aggrieved, and uh, in the style of a nineties uh, TV complaint show. Why oh why oh why is everyone still so down? on Williams. I would love to know what the feeling in the paddock is about the potential resurgence and Williams being a competitive midfield team, perhaps even a place well, where who's drivers down on Williams. Well I think he's maybe he's talking about me. I I, I love Williams and but it just I'm just Williams you know. is on the way up.
2: And Williams is on
1: the way is up. It? Not just
2: Yes, of course it is, but you can't change a car. They've got a car that does I mean it's doing a hell of a lot better than it did last year and it's not massively different um you know just because they've changed some people but what you what can't be seen yet is that the g- good people are starting to arrive at williams because they have faith in james Val's turning it around and taking it somewhere with Doralton money and so there are good people arriving there all the time and you know not not high profile people like pat fry he's part of it but there's all through all the different levels on the technical side good people are coming out of other teams and going to williams and that's why it will Grow and be successful.
1: Okay, so this season, twenty six points, seventh place. They are just ahead of Alpha Romeo, slightly ahead of, of Haas and um, Torre, uh, but quite a way off sixth, pl- sixth place. So it's a subs- of course, yeah. but
2: you can't you can't do things overnight. We've just discussed that before. It takes it takes a long term process. They need to rebuild the infrastructure that existed at, at Williams is so far out of date. I mean, it's way more out of date
1: than anybody else. Okay, but of those 26 points, Joe, 25 of those have been scored by Alex Albon. And that's got to be... Which tells you what? That they have got a pay driver and they need to not have a pay driver. They haven't got
2: a pay driver. There's no
1: pay driver at Williams. Williams don't benefit financially from having Logan Sargent.
2: No, they do not. And nor nor does Sauber benefit from Guan Yu, Joe, no matter what people tell you. There's only one team that has a pay driver. And that is because the dad is the boss. So he's paying for his own son, if you like. Otherwise, there are no
1: paid drivers in Formula 1. Logan Sargent is the first he's choice. He's not a paid driver. Logan Sargent is left, then, on merit, the first choice for Williams. There's no yes, other incentive to have him.
2: Yes, he is.
1: Well, I don't do not want
2: guess. to know? Oh, let me tell you a conversation I had okay. the other day. I'd love it. Let's have it. I was talking to Oscar Piastri, as you do, in the paddock. And Oscar, we were talking about flex, how hard it flex. is for a rookie to come in and make a big impression because of the tires and you can see from Oscar's performances that he struggles more than Lando on occasion because yeah, on he, he's way, trying yeah. to learn how the tires work and he said you know it's still a problem for me and he said and and Logan's having the same kind of problems that I'm having I just don't get what's happening to him because Logan's quick and he was my teammate and when Oscar Piastri says someone's quick, yeah. that is actually quite um, a okay. recommendation because Logan Sargent is quick, and that's what Williams have seen. And they have uh, they okay, he's making a mess of things as a rookie, but all rookies make a mess. Look mm. at look at Sonoda. Why is he still there after all these years of screaming and shouting and <laughs> crashing? And yes, because he's got Honda written on his forehead, mm. and they're keeping him there to learn because mm. he, he has got speed. Whichever, whichever way you look at it, he's got speed. So he's not a pay driver, but he's
1: a, he is a protected driver, if you like. So the thing is, I respect you massively, Joe. So if you say that Logan Sargent is there on merit, it, it does make me think, if you're wrong about that, what else are you wrong about? This whole... we should yeah, but throw, I'm not wrong about it. Why do hole? you think he's a pay driver? <laughs> okay, put it this way. You're saying why? He's no, no,
2: got... Why do... what? Well, honestly, to give me some evidence. That's fair. I will come back. A, just yeah. because his family yeah. has been wealthy. Yes. Where is the evidence that he's a pay driver?
1: Okay. So that's that's a fair question, and I will... Oh, I'm not armed to answer that specifically, so I will. I' won't walk, find no. any means of doing it because it's not true. So just just because he's massively underperforming, has scored less than four percent of the team's uh, points, yes, has in his first year has been Alexander, off the pace. He's the
2: most underrated driver in Formula One. Has
1: been off the pace. Has been in the wall more often than not. Has has he's damaged. Not off the pace. Has damaged the development he's not of. He's off
2: the pace. If you look at it over races, some races he's as quick. As, a, as Alex Albon, and that is no mean achievement, no, because sure Alex mean... Albon is quick. He's, he, for me, is the most underrated driver mm. in Formula One, and he's the guy who's actually in demand right now. Red Bull would love to have Alex Albon back, okay. but they can't get him now because yeah. they blew it, and they <laughs> let him go and took Sergio Perez instead
1: because they thought it was a good idea at the time. Well done, Helmet. So in my defense, I I won't you're right, I won't be able to go and get the exact financial records from Williams. Well you won't even if you could,
2: you wouldn't find anything because the reason Logan Sargent is there is he is quick and he's American. Mm. And the Doralton project is as much about being American as it is about being Williams. If you look at the sponsors who will be appearing on that thing, they're American
1: sponsors. These people are smart enough to realize
2: that the future of Formula One is in America.
1: So you're saying partially he's there down to the money that he can bring into the team? No. So like an Ericsson (laughs) situation.
2: I'm saying (laughs) that success brings money. Okay, It doesn't Mm. matter what nationality you are. Success brings money. The fact that if you have a, a competitive American you're going to have a a big advantage over teams that don't have a competitive American. If you're selling to an American major league company, if you're selling to Microsoft or whoever, if you've Mm. got a successful American racing driver, you're going to have more luck selling that. And who is the most likely person to succeed from America in the next five years? Is it Herter with Andretti?
1: No. Okay. It's Logan Sargent. So, I think you've created a a sort of another term. And I know it was, uh, let's see who did this. Uh, Christopher Fonseca in the live chat uh, suggests perhaps instead of pay drivers, we call them uh, drivers with national sponsors and and create a little subcategory. yeah, it might, it might come under the same category. Her, no, but not might. Perez is <laughs> well, there, there because go. of Carlos Slim. So if we, who was looking for a Mexican driver. So we, I'm happy to have that subcategory if you want to include Ericsson in that. Wanyu, no, no, Joe but, you
2: know, you can't, you can't just... They are there on ability, first of all, lesser or greater ability, but they are there on ability. It just so happens that the money attaches it themselves, at it's to them because of what they are. And because they're quick, it's as simple as that. It's not. There's no sort of. There's no um, conspiracy of pay drivers. There, there, too many fans in Formula <laughs> One see conspiracies where there aren't any. I mean, sometimes there are conspiracies, but not nearly as much as people on the internet think. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. just. It's just not like that. Thing because is, because with... they're too busy. They're too busy trying to make cars go fast to actually have all these incredibly complicated Mm. plans that
1: people dream up because they've got nothing better to do. Okay, but I do still stick to my original point, which is that Williams benefit financially from having Logan Sargent there, and that's part of the reason he's there. No. That's fair. They don't don't benefit massively from any sponsorship at the moment. Okay.
2: (laughs) But But the fact is that they may do in the future, and that's what they see. Mm. That's where they see the value. And they're willing to... I mean, they're not going to keep him forever. If he doesn't deliver in year two... You you you'll mm. probably see them getting slung out, but what they believe in is bringing on a driver and drivers. Because if you look at their young driver program, they got four or five young drivers. Because it's cheaper, it's cheaper to develop drivers than it is to buy them in later on. Mm. And this is the irony of it all. You know, Red Bull originally had Alex Albon when he was about thirteen or fourteen, dropped him, then eventually took him up again, then dropped him again. And what they've done is they've created a fantastic racing driver because they've made him tough more than anything else mentally and that's what you need as a racing driver more than anything else is mental toughness they've created one by just continually screwing him around and he's done he's delivered the goods pretty much all along the way you can't say that that Alex has, has ever no when he was when he was teammate to
1: max he did a better job than all the other blokes who had been teammate to max that's uh, arguably fair that is arguably fair do you know what joe no it's I've, uh, fair okay it's fine. Fair. yeah i've like uh, yeah because um yeah apart from when he hit hamilton on the way to that podium on brazil he did pretty well and he hit hamilton in austria as well he, excuse apart- me excuse me <laughs> hamilton hit
2: him in brazil you silly person uh,
1: uh, this has been a good row i've really i've enjoyed this joe um uh, and if you want to listen to joe where i don't get a word in edgewise and i don't i don't get to to have a fight with him. Uh, come and join us for the virtual live audience, the Thursday, 8pm UK time before the Brazilian Grand Prix weekend. Come and buy a seat on that. It's very, it's an intimate zoom call and the content is driven by your questions. Uh, open a bottle of wine and and have a fun evening hanging out with us guys. But the thing I do want to direct people to, which I've taken a while to get converted to and be all in on is your, your newsletter, Firstly, because newsletters are something that 100-year-old hundred, hundred people do and read. So I don't subscribe to any newsletter ever. Yours is the only newsletter that I have. And it has been one of my biggest kind of tools of information to unpick what is really happening in Formula One. And this is like an insider industry newsletter. You, do, you charge for it. Can, can, I, can, can I say at this point also that it's not just you, Spanners, who read it. Team principals
2: read it. There we go. Yeah people in the FIA read it people at formula 1 read it people in indycar teams read it because it's the it's what's going on analyzed in a sensible fashion and that is completely different to everything you can read on the internet believe me it's worth every. It's worth its weight in gold, I would say. But well, I you, would say that because I'm biased. Yeah, you
1: do but. charge for it. Like it carries. Yes, a, of course I charge it you, know, I've got to, I've, I've, yeah. it.
2: you think I can swan around the world and be in hotels in Texas yeah. just by um just by sponsorship
1: or I how think do I do it? If you enjoy being the F1 little know it all at the pub or on your Reddit posts or whatever, oh, it yeah. is that is that's where the where you pay the money. But it's um it's expensive. I think it's expensive. But your GP Plus magazine is a steal. And people should sign up to GP Plus magazine.
2: That's also true. It is a a steal. If you look look at a a subscription to one of these monthly magazines... Mm. They cost a fortune too.
1: Yeah, that's true. So,
2: so you know, if, if you get the JSBM newsletter and you work it out and what you get for
1: it, it's a very good deal. There we go. So, check that out. We'll do the links to, to that in the show notes. If Joe, if you could send me the links, because I've, I've lost them, um, to that and to the live virtual audience as well. Thank you so much. Go and follow Joe at Joe Saywood on Twitter. Follow me as well at Spanners Ready. And uh, tune in next time we go inside F1 with Joe Saywood. Bye, Joe. Bye. Are we still on the air? Yeah, I pressed the wrong button a couple of times and I was hoping you wouldn't say something like are we still on the air? And then I'd have gotten away with it. (laughs) But yeah, so I'm just going to let this music sort of peter out. You can't hear the music, that's why. I can't hear the music. No, no, it's my bad. They can just hear us prattling on. That's fine. But we have to get the guitar in. That's the most important thing. Yeah, but everyone else can, Joe. It's got to trust in me. Then? Why can't I hear it? Why am I allowed to? It's because to we had to go back to Zoom, and I don't know why it's gone to the point that the people can't hear it. But normally, I make it so you can see the graphic at least. So sorry for everyone on the YouTube cut. You've just heard Joe crashing the most important bit. Not all the fine information he gave us. Uh, not all the fantastic debate, uh, but the guitar. That's the most important thing. Small details are big surfaces.